Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Okay, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, like I just said that I was here six seconds before the show actually went on air. And uh, it's just busy, busy, busy. Uh, There's things to do, lots going on in the world. Uh, We see these ridiculous draconian COVID uh, things that the government is doing and the media is sanctioning. And uh, many of your fellow citizens, whatever country you're in, because we're in touch with countries all over, um, had uh, emails from Europe and Australia and South Africa and... and, uh, hearing from a lady uh, from China, and uh, it's it's just uh, crazy everywhere. And to make sense of it all, that was one of the things uh, the fellow in the Europe was saying, it takes so much time to do all this research and to try to make sense of it all. And, of course, that's why Christ commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, is because... It's too much for one person to do. And so you have to work together. And it is also why despots do not want you to work together. I sent out an email just, uh, I don't know, 15 minutes before uh, the program started to the entire network that had uh, the schedule for the program today, which is Keys of the Kingdom or Straight Talk. We called it, we used to call it the Sabbath Hour. But uh because it's one hour that I spend on the Sabbath that I share information with you. And, of course, we have the morning show, which is Keys of the Kingdom also. But and Keys of the Kingdom is what we're always talking about. And the kingdom is the right to be ruled by God. And it is the institution that Christ created when he called out his ministers to be the church. And uh, they're, they're get notices coming in left and right for me <laughs> to read. I've been in touch with people from uh, different branches of the government who also are seeing this and try to figure out what to do. Well, we, we've had this solution all along. And Christ laid it out for you. He laid it out Mark and Luke. He laid it out through all the Gospels that you have to start loving one another. And if you were actually students of history, if you were actually learning history, you would know what the solution is and you would be a part of that solution. And uh, one of the ways to be a part of that solution is to be a part of a network of people who care about each other as much as they care about themselves. So this morning we talked about the fact that we already went through Joel, Amos, Micah, Hosea, Malachi, and uh, we've already shared those audios with you, and they're all at preparingyou.com. We also have five books you can get access to, The Covenants of the Gods, That Kingdom Come, uh, The Free Church Report, and uh, uh, The Higher Liberty. Uh, did I say Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions? <laughs> anyway, uh, and the, the problems that these things are all going over and the solutions that they're also pointing to, which is in the Free Church Report and Thy Kingdom Comes, which is one of the books, the free online. All of our information is free online. But all of our information, in order to be effective, will cost you. Because you will have to stop sitting around thinking you already know and have to realize you don't know. And you will have to put your realization and your new way of thinking into action. 
you know, I quoted Thomas Jefferson this morning, the, the two enemies of the people are criminals and government. <laughs> That's, I mean, Thomas said it, not me. And so let us uh, tie the second down with the chains of the Constitution so that the second will not become the legalized version of the first. And, of course, the problem is, is that all of, excuse me, all of you have become the legalized version of the first. <laughs> you know, the criminals. And how did you become a criminal? Well, you violated the Ten Commandments. That's that's what you did. You violated the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments is the law of God. Now, what are the, what are the repercussions of violating the law of God? Well, they're already built into creation. They're already going to happen. We, we When they start to happen, we call it the wrath of God. Although many of the things that are going to happen are going to be the wrath wrath of that government, which you either created and fed up or allowed to be created and fed up because you were slothful in the way. Somebody uh, sent me a video of somebody talking, going to talk about the way, and I was trying to look at it. I just got it just seconds ago because you can hear the dinging in the background, people sending me stuff all the time, and I can't look at all of it. I was supposed to be on a call to South Africa at 1.30, and it didn't seem to come through. I'm wondering if we got our times mixed up because, it, you know, it'll be Saturday in one place and Sunday in the other. But I thought we had it all figured out, but for some reason the call did not come through. But we'll give it a shot another time. Uh, I actually literally ran off the desert to make it to that call. <laughs> and then then it didn't then come about, so then I ran somewhere else, and then I ran back in here to do this show. So I hope everybody appreciates the efforts that I make in order to do all this. And I wanted to continue to go over some of the notes that I started in this morning show. So if you're li- listening to this show and you haven't listened to the morning show, Join the network and we'll send you copies of that as soon as they become available. And because they are tied together. And, uh, you know, the, the critical thing, and, and I was going to talk a little bit about equality and equity and how equality and equity get mixed up and how there are different kinds of equality, equality of opportunity and equality of, of, uh, outcome. But even way back before people started all this mixed-up crazy stuff of equality of outcome, which is nothing more than socialism, which that the equality that you will get under socialism is the mutual sharing of misery. At least that's what one statesman called it, and he was absolutely right. But uh, the the fact is is that way before, back in the 1830s, Somebody else wrote about this equality of, at this equality and freedom and uh, being the American dilemma that people in America wanted the equality but they also wanted freedom and somehow or other those, those two different aspects of human status, uh, can come into conflict. Well, part of that has to do with, uh, Definition and part of that has to do with application and that's what we started this morning. But because we only have an hour and we have less than that left, we're not going to go there. So uh, uh, I'm not going to go. Well, one quote I will repeat because I never got to the finish of it is uh, this was Alexis Tocqueville. Uh, Democratic institutions awaken and flatter the passion for equality. 
without ever being able to satisfy it entirely. Uh, every day, this complete equality eludes the hands of the people at the moment when they believe they have seized it. And it flees before them. As Pascal said, in an eternal flight, it is always, it's the carrot hung before the donkey that uh, he constantly is trying to get and stepping forward to get and is constantly moving ahead of him. You're not going to achieve equality. It's something to consider and something to contemplate for and it's something to strive for, but you're never going to get it amongst a vast population of people in a universe that is moving in many different directions at the same time. It's just not attainable. But it may be worth seeking. But by itself, it is not a goal. Because it will only lead to frustration. But anyway, he he goes on to say, after this reference to Pascal uh, and equality being in this eternal flight, he says, the people become heated in their search for this good of equality, all the more precious as it is near enough to be known, far enough not to be tasted. Again, like the carrot in front of the jackass. The chance of succeeding stirs them. The uncertainty of success irritates them. This is a translation, of course, and I don't really think that he meant irritate as we would commonly think, but that's the way it translates. They are agitated. They are wearied. They are embittered. And, of course, we've had many people join the network over the years and uh, seeking, they, they feel the sense of inequality in the world. They, they feel the sense of, let's call it injustice in the world. And they want to do something about it and they listen to the material we have and they join the network or they join an email network and then they're seeking more than just equality. Uh, they're, they're seeking this satisfaction that is unattainable. And they're seeking it for themselves in one way or another. Now, they can say they're seeking it for other people as well. But in almost every case, as I investigated why somebody leaves, it has to do with the fact that they're really there for themselves. And, of course, those people that are really there for themselves, at least, see, it, we're all here for ourselves. And we may all be here for others. But the qualification is, is that we have to love one another as ourselves. We can't love one another less than ourselves. We can't love one another really more than ourselves. Although... That actually is in the equation because Christ loved you more than himself. But of course Christ understood but he had to go through the pain and agony of sacrificing himself out of love for you. That is the nature of Christ. That is the spirit of Christ. That is the name of Christ. He was not anointed only with oil from the lady of the city who was not a lady of the night 
<laughs> but uh, uh, the uh, despite what you may have been told before, but we're not going to get into that rabbit trail. But uh, the fact is, is that he was anointed by blood, by sacrifice. We should expect the same if we are coming in his name. But how does that pan out into a practical reality? And we want to get some practical reality in this show that we will add to the show before. And then we will eventually go on to Nahum and, and health care. Privatizing health care. Privatizing education. Privatizing business administration of what do they call the different organizations in the government that helps with small business administration, et cetera. Well, your government that had its small business administration for years just killed small businesses all over the United States and all over the world, for that fact. Destroyed them, just strangled them, while the richest corporations in the world got richer and richer. Do you think that was an accident? Do you think that was a coincidence? Well... Uh, you looking to buy a bridge? <laughs> anyway, society is characterized by love of equality, therefore have a particular revolutionary energy, which is always ready to upset its own inheritance because of a new inequities it identifies in them. But nature is constantly throwing up new inequalities. Uh, not new inequities, but new inequalities. Aren't they similar? Well, we'll see. Especially among the intellect, which we've seen. We've had the intellectual crowds kneeling down and apologizing to blacks for slavery. Because supposedly everything that's wrong in the black community is a result of slavery. Which is absolutely nonsense because the black community was doing better and better and better. Now there were times after Woodrow Wilson that they were often persecuted because Woodrow Wilson brought in a great deal of persecution because he was a racist. Now, maybe he repented of it eventually, but he was at least raised with this racist intent. LBJ was a racist. No question about it, but he, he didn't just like dislike blacks. He disliked uh, a great many whites. He disliked anybody he didn't have power over. <laughs> but uh, Che Guevara was a racist. These are real racists. Che Guevara was an extreme racist, even more so than Woodrow Wilson. And yet I see, every time I see a black man with a Che Guevara t-shirt, I think, there's somebody who doesn't know history. <laughs> it's just insane. <laughs> but uh, uh, Tocqueville remarked, uh, and because uh, I think he's really... One of the reasons I use Tocqueville is he, you know, Alexis Tocqueville, Tocqueville, no R, is that he was very articulate and he was a hundred years ago. So we had the information for a long time of what he shared with us, but nobody studies that. You know, they study other historians who are insanely incompetent. Tocqueville had real insight. He had more insight than he actually realized. And he spoke about it. And he wrote about it. And he gave those books down to us. And they're not teaching your children this. Because what he was talking about is a road to freedom. And your your children are being taught in public schools which are not teaching you to be free, but they're teaching you to be subjects. 
and have been for a long time. And we've gone to go look up tools, schools as tools at uh, preparing you and read how they've been doing or the Reese Commission and see what they were up to. But he he taught, remarks that the nature of democracy is to set itself against these inequalities. You know, they're going to make sure everybody has an equal outcome. <laughs> Even without revolution, the pressure of for equality presses into a form, excuse me, into more and more spheres of society, eventually influencing not only laws, but also relations between employers and workers, husbands and wives, parents and children. It exerts pressure on habits of thought and feeling, affects the science and the arts, the sort of history and poetry that people write, the sort of religion they practice and believe. The old saying, the cure for the ills of democracy is more democracy. They capture the passion of or, or, or the passion for equality, but neglect, Turkeville would say, the need to instruct democracy in the art of staying free. Because that's what we've lost. We've lost the art of staying free. And so people think that the problem is, you know, maybe the media like CNN or the Biden as the president or or Obama, or the Congress and the Senate. No, the problem is that you've forgotten the instructions of being free. And you think in ways that you think are okay, but are actually contrary to the ways of Christ. And you have to think again, rethink this. And this is what we're talking about. Tocqueville admired Americans for having learned the art of freedom. That's when we were great. And all Americans were great. All Americans are never great. That's, to think that all Americans were great and everything that America did, everything the government of America did was great, is part of that pursuing the equality that you will never get to. But there was greatness in America. And there were Americans who were great, who laid down their lives for one another, who sacrificed daily, daily, for one another. The ideal version of such a place that Tocqueville believed he had found were not in the South, but in New England, townships, in juries, and the civic political associations. Civic and political associations. Now, he uses, we, we see this word associations often in his writings, but again, this is translated from French. And today in English, associations can mean other things. Like the church is not an unincorporated association. And people often try to apply that to it. And and some churches go out and incorporate with the state, not knowing that if they incorporate with the state, all other previous incorporation is null and void. And And some churches incorporated with Constantine. When Constantine, back in 300 A.D., some churches incorporated with Constantine, and the daughters of that church are also often incorporated to the state. 
As a matter of fact, the whole system of 501c3 and trying to get people incorporated to the state actually came from the Catholic Church. And things like the uh, Pact of the Catacomb, or the Catacomb Pact, some people will call it, which was signed back in, was it 1966? No, I think it was earlier than that. It, it was signed during the Second Vatican Council a couple of weeks before it was over. Uh, it was not signed by about 40 peoples, 40 bishops signed it in the Catholic Church. But eventually about 500 signed it. And of course it wasn't written in English, it was written in Latin. And the original uh, that they signed has been lost. We don't even know where it is. Somebody from memory, one of the uh, still surviving members of the signatory... They uh, they wrote it down from memory. And of course, that pact was actually... The, the pact sounded really good when you talk about the basic principles that they were talking about. I mean, the, the priests were no longer going to use the golden ring things for people to kiss. They were no longer going to get fancy robes. They were actually going to live as if they were poor and 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 work for the people and take care of the people and the needy of the people. And I know people that were at the Vatican Council. And they would be up at 4 o'clock in the morning and they would go down and work two hours in the hospital and come back and... Uh, and do other services with other people, and then go back and work at the hospital. They were just tireless workers. Lived to be like 98 years old. Born in 1906, that particular guy, and died uh, at like 98, so I guess you'll have to do the math. And just a tireless worker for the people. Very instrumental in... And shaking me out of Catholicism, because he was the one who told me that the Catholic Church was not the one true church. And he was at every one of the Vatican councils. I I don't know, because we don't have the original document, I don't know if he signed that pact. But there was over 500 bishops who did. And he, he was a very prominent bishop. But you'd never kiss his ring. What well, what was he about? Then, and I can I can give you the names of people who did sign it, and did rewrite it. Uh, I have to say rewrite it because we don't have the original copy. And the idea that the original copy was just lost, <laughs> I think the original co- copy was absconded with, kind of like that plaque on the cross of Jesus, and we always see the. You know, on the little crucifixes and stuff, we see a little plaque there with a couple of letters on it. We say, well, that's what he did is put this broken piece of wood up there. No, 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 no. This is ebony wood covered in plaster with letters carved in it in three languages with a statement in each of those languages, you know, in these separate languages, which is a form of an official document of the Roman Empire. And I don't, I don't know whatever happened to that. But uh, it may still be around somewhere in hiding or hidden. Hidden from us or hidden for us. I don't know. But that document says Jesus is the king of Judea. The king of the Jews, so to speak. The citizens of Judea. Not Not just Jews in general, but the citizens of Judea. Rome was recognizing Jesus as the king of a government. 
a government, according to Wycliffe, that was a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, that had government workers, swarms of government workers, but not to eat out your substance, but to serve you. Because Christ was creating offices of service. As a matter of fact, he prohibited them from exercising authority one over the other. And the people were cast out of the governments of the world, governments like the one that the Pharisees were running that was making the word of God did not affect. And they entered in with baptism. That's what baptism was all about, is entering into this other government of the people, for the people, and by the people that operated by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And if you get away from that, you will find yourself subject to despots. And part of that process can be a misunderstanding of equality and a forgetfulness concerning the art of freedom. And so that's what we're talking about. What is the art of freedom? Well, it's the keys to the kingdom. That That is the notches and the key. The art of freedom. The skills of freedom. One of the skills of freedom is forgiveness. One of the skills of freedom is sacrifice. Because love is sacrifice. Anybody who's been married for a while knows love is sacrifice. It's not just passion. But a passion, passionate willingness to sacrifice. So he says the ideal version of such a place, as Tocqueville was saying, was in New England with its juries. Those juries were not like the juries today. It's townships which provided public education through mostly free will offerings, not through taxation. Civic and political associations, civic associations. Paul talks about civic associations all the time. If you go back and and study some of the, uh, we have, you know, not only the minor prophets, but we had Paul. We've gone through Romans. I think we've gone through Corinthians. We may have gone through others. Whatever we haven't gone, if you want us to go through it, we'll go through it and show you what Paul was really saying. Because most people don't know. That's why there's such a conflict about Paul. Was Paul really an apostle? Was he preaching Christ first? Well, They don't understand Paul. They don't understand the laws at that time. They don't understand what the Pharisees were doing. And they don't understand what we're doing wrong today. And once you begin to understand that, we begin to see the gospel in a new light. We begin to see the whole gospel, the true gospel, and the way of Jesus Christ. So, where are we going with all this? Okay. So democracies all end in failure. At least that's what Polybius said. And uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Tocqueville argued uh, that the passion for equality could weaken social ties. Weaken social ties. What are social ties? Social ties are the bands which connect a free society. Because they're not, they're not bound by contract. They're not bound by oaths and swearing allegiance. Not in a free society. In in a not-so-free society, they would be. But in a free society, they are bound by social ties. And, And he also says that this equality might promote materialism. Not capitalism, necessarily, but materialism. But he does say, and fuel the inequities of capitalism. But you should never... Compare capitalism to socialism. Because socialism is a political 
system. Capitalism is not. It, do, it does not include a political system. But capitalism in a political system, well, depending on what kind of political system it is, it can produce all kinds of things. Capitalism is this, you make it, it's yours. You earn it, it's yours. It, when they went into the bondage of Egypt, what you earned wasn't always yours. 20% of what you earned went to the government. If you're in a system where a portion of your labor does not go to you, you're not in a capitalist system. You might be in a system that has some capitalism, but it's not real capitalism. If the money you use doesn't have real value, no present value, you're not doing capitalism. And, of course, the movement from gold and silver money, copper money, substance, and and the move towards an income tax was all moves away from capitalism. And now we have socialists trying to defame capitalism because capitalism doesn't work. Well, you have to work at capitalism to make it work. And you've already had public school. That's socialist. Social Security, that's socialist. Federal Reserve, that's socialist. So, it isn't, your present state of economic unrest is nothing to do with capitalism. It's because you strayed from capitalism. But capitalism by itself is not enough because it, there's no moral criteria. It's just that what you make, what you earn, what you prove up is yours. So when we go on and look at some of his other explanations that like egalitarian sentiments lead us to ignore our links to our ancestors since our lineage would not determine our fate and also to serve ties to social superiors and even inferiors. With these vertical chains broken, Every individual family is more on its own. Each feels a new freedom and a new possibility of rising, but also a new vulnerability and insecurity. These hopes and fears lead us to devote most of our attention to securing the material comfort of our immediate family and friends. And so we embrace materialism and withdraw into a political passivity that Tocqueville called individualism. Not fairly. Because in every society, there must be a measure of individualism. Because that's where choice... It was the individual that was given choice. God did not give government choice. Individuals give government choice and lose some of their choice and some of their individuality. Now, you do that in the kingdom of God, too. You you give up your right to choose over some thing in Israel. They sacrificed in the Teutons. They would go and sacrifice. They would give substance of some sort, you know, sheep, oils, food, Whatever they produced, they would give some of what they produced to their priests and their priests would watch out for the needy of society. Because they were 
they were priests of religion, and religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. Even just 150 years ago, religion was defined as the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And then if you go read our Sacrifice of Sophistry or the Sophistry article at Preparing You or Thy Kingdom Come, you'll see that all the altars of ancient times were part of social welfare systems in society. But they are designed to create those social bonds. Because you're sitting down in small groups, sharing amongst those small groups. Your minister is not in your group. He serves your group, but he's in another group that share amongst themselves. And they will pick a minister and he'll be in another group that shares amongst themselves. Not top down, bottom up. This is how you get a bottom up society. And But the goal is to care about your neighbor as much as yourself. And this was the danger of individualism is that you would just care about yourself. And the fact is a socialist state allows you to care about yourself. I don't care about the other homeless. Just care about me. I don't care about the poor. I just care about me. But in a free society, if you don't care about your neighbor, he's not going to care about you. If you covet your neighbor's goods or try to get your neighbor's goods away from him through some sort of trickery, he's not going to like you. He's not going to care about you. He's, as a matter of fact, he's going to dislike you. And he may actually plot against you eventually. But even if he didn't, you're alone. But in a free society where you actually care about your neighbor and you make those sacrifices, things change. You know, and Tocqueville was not arguing to return to feudalism when he, he questioned these new systems. And we talked a little bit about that this morning, so you just have to watch the first program. He was trying to show just how bad the new oligarchy coming from the government would be. Workers and masters, oligarchs, would see one another only as the factory and otherwise have to no point of contact and certainly no sense of responsibility. And that's absolutely true. I'm taking some of this from several articles that were written on this subject that originally was introduced by Alexis. And so you, you see written by Alexis the, the, the manufacturing aristocracy of our day after having impoverished and brutalized the men whom it uses leaves them to be nourished by public charity in times of crisis. This results naturally from what proceeded between workers and master relations and frequent, but there is no genuine association. This is this word of association. The word association as Alexis used it, and this is really important because he's going to be saying this. It's about those bands, those invisible bands of love for one another, or caring for one another. That That's what his idea of associations were. They were connections. They were invisible connections that may or may not gratify depending upon the choices that people make. So how you treat your neighbor becomes very, very important. I heard a story about a guy who was very angry and 
threatening people actually to kill them if they did what he didn't like. And these were people working alongside of the road. And they were threatening them, the, the workers. I mean, he actually, at one point, he had a rock in his hand. And uh, the supervisor of all the workers came up and uh, and his workers told him what had gone on. And so, you know, he notified the police because this guy's threatening to kill people. But he also walked up to the guy to talk to him. And the guy started bad-mouthing people in the local government and and yelling at him with, you know, obscenities and everything, including the, the head of the department that he was just threatening the employees of, which was the road department. And he was threatening that guy who was the head of the department and saying that he was such a terrible guy and a horrible guy. What he didn't know is he was talking to that guy. <laughs> That's the guy who walked up to him. He never met the guy. And he was cussing him out and yelling at that the guy that he didn't know was standing right in front of him. And finally the guy says, you know, by the way, I am that guy. <laughs> and the guy settled down quite a bit. He settled down a lot more when the police showed up. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, yeah, I know what's happening. I just have a problem with it. You know, because the policeman's got to go. <laughs> so, but the guy, I don't know, he's off his meds or didn't get his coffee or what, but it's a, it's a crazy, 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 crazy world out there. And it wouldn't be that way if we were actually doing what Christ said, if we were all working together to build the school. Hiring the government to force everybody in the community to pay for what you want is not going to create those bonds of a free society. It actually creates the bonds of despotism. And people just don't see it. But it's been doing it now for a hundred years in America because we've gone over this way. FDR was a big jump. LBJ was a big jump. Certainly, there were lots of others. Occasionally, they would try to roll back some of these controls. But uh, the die was cast. As soon as you started the covetous practice of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor through the exercising authority of government, you were doomed. You were doomed. He was going to take and take and take and take and take. And you're going to cry out and God's not even going to hear you. But if you repent and start going back the way that Christ originally said, learning to live by faith, hope, and charity and taking care of one another through that true charity, not legal charity. See, now if you're listening regularly, you're starting to understand legal charity is that those forced contributions, you know, that are destroying society. You know, in the second volume of uh, Democracy in America, written by Alexis, you know, he talks about things like genuine associations that he thought was necessary for true freedom. But these associations are charitable institutions. They're, and, and they're not corporations. They're just people come together and by helping one another, they create these invisible bonds of association. It's, and he calls it the art of association. It's not the art of incorporation or even unincorporated associations, but the art of association, the, the communion of the righteous, as opposed to the wages of unrighteousness that we see in the unrighteous mammon. 
So he says, uh, however, that uh, a state powerful and centralized enough to effectively regulate the industrial economy would also be, by virtue of its power and centralization, crowd out the local politics most conductive to the art of that association, that the free association, the free assembly of people, the free, you know, what they call the free will offerings of the Old Testament, which is charity. It crowds out charity. And we've, we've done show after show on Australia and the United States showing how the government comes in and tells charity, we're going to help you out with unwed mothers. We're going to help you out with the homeless. We're going to help you out with your food kitchen. Well, that's the way it starts. They accept the benefits of men who exercise authority. And before you know it, they're not doing it anymore. They're not rightly dividing the bread from house to house. The government is equally dividing the bread from house to house. In order to do that, there has to be equally a despot to everybody. So this is where the conundrum is created. Can we escape the conundrum? No sensible student of this concept would suggest that the 19th century aristocrat can answer this question for us. Instead, reading Tocqueville, it can keep us from forgetting the question, the question that neither the major political parties in America is now grappling with directly. They're not dealing with the real issue. And most people don't want them to deal with the real issue. Tocqueville felt politically homeless in his time. Because nobody was doing it. Well, hey, nobody's doing it today. And a lot of you may be fe- feeling politically homeless. Uh, is the Democratic Party doing it? Is the Republican Party doing it? They're all centralized over on the left. So, what is the answer? What is the solution? Where are we going with this? <laughs> How are we resolving these issues? Well, the kingdom of God is over there on the other side. It's what Christ actually preached, the way of Christ. What he preached, what he said for us to do. And we're not doing it. And uh, we need to change. So... You know, I in the email I sent out to the network, for those people who are not on the network, uh, I, I mentioned that I've been sharing resources with ministers that I serve. See, I'm, I'm in, a, in a religious order, and that sounds terrible. It sounded terrible to me at one time, but I understand what religion really is supposed to mean. It's how you take care of the needy of society. And you're either doing it through charity or you're doing it through force. If you're doing it through force, you're not going to be free. If you're doing it through charity, like Christ said, like Moses said, doing it through love for one another, you're going to be creating those bonds, those associations with one another. So, I serve ministers. And those ministers serve other people. And by that, I indirectly serve other people. Then I also do all these radio broadcasts, write all these books, write all these articles and publish them for free. So I, I serve the other people and that way as well. That's, that's extra work. And I'm self-supporting it, which is why I give all these things away for free. It doesn't mean you can't contribute to what we're doing here in Summer Lake. 
You certainly can. But if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and contribute the the first portion of what you do to that group, to care about that group, knowing full well that some of what you give may go to another group because all those ministers are in a congregation. But that that's the way it is with blood. When you, your heart pumps it, it thinks it's going out to this artery and that artery and, you know, the aorta and all these kinds of things. But it will be redistributed throughout the body through the capillary system to all parts of the body. It's not just going to feed the heart and the lungs. It's got to feed the feet and the hands. So that the feet and the hands can go out and earn money to feed the stomach so that uh, you the heart keeps pump, pumping. Because if you don't put anything in the furnace, there's no reason to run the bellows. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... I use the analogy of the bellows for the heart. That would be better for the lungs. But uh, that's just the way it works. And, you know, in that email I sent out, I, I mentioned the fact that Australia is barring people from going from one state to another. And I, I don't think they're done. I think it'll get worse and worse. And so I know people have already lost their job because they, they don't want to get the shot. But and, and their employer didn't fire them. They just can't cross the state line and their job requires that they cross the state line. What what if you get injured and you want to go to the hospital? They may not let you in the hospital. I also talked about the fact, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, less than 30% of the blacks between the ages of 18 and 44 have been vaccinated in New York. Yet, without a vaccine passport, they're not going to be able to congregate in restaurants or community halls or maybe even get on the bus. And, I, you know, we've already done all kinds of programs about, you know, that the fact that the vaccine may be causing severe long-term injuries. You can actually go to openbears.com and see the short-term injuries that are attributed to it. And like I said, those statistics, of, I was quoting statistics this morning from August 6th. But I guess there's been new statistics that came out since August 13th. So the numbers are all higher than what I was mentioning this morning. But the reality is is that you're talking over 100,000 people reported as injured, hospitalized, crippled for life, uh, some of them, Bell's palsy. It just goes on and on. And of course, like I said, 12,000 dead. But that may be only 1%. At, at most, it's probably only 10%. Of the injuries that have occurred. So 10 times 120,000. We're talking millions of people have been injured by this. And nobody has to. Nobody has a right to get compensation from the companies who made it. And lots of like getting compensation from a government. When they don't allow you to go outside. But like I said. They don't want you to have the conversation. And what I've been sharing with them. Is ways to avoid. At the present time. Ways to avoid being forced to get vaccinated and losing your job. But that cannot be our only plan. I hear people all the time saying, well, uh, you can't force me to take, uh, you know, an unapproved vaccination. Well, they'll just approve the vaccination and then force you. Somebody asks their legal counsel and the legal counsel starts giving them the, two, the 1906 cases, the Jacobson case. And saying, yeah, they can force you to have a vaccination. That's that's mute. It doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. 
But even if it was true that it did, Supreme Court is not God. It's God to the people who are members of the United States. But the original citizens of the United States weren't members of the United States. They were good citizens, but they were not... They were citizens, free inhabitants. Go read our article on citizen versus citizen. Things have changed. And they changed. You need to change your thinking back. In order to do that, you may need to have a conversation. And that's why they fear you talking to one another, meeting with one another. Here's something Tocqueville wrote in an essay, Democracy in America, and two essays on America. He wrote way back in the 1800s. Despotism, suspicious by its very nature, views the separation of men as the best guarantee of its own permanence and usually does all it can to keep them in isolation. This was written almost a 100 years ago. Well, actually, it was written a 100 years ago. What am I thinking? Uh, we're in 2020 now. A hundred years ago is 1920, and this is written in mid-1800s, 150 years ago. Despotism, suspicious by its very nature, views the separation of men as the best guarantee of its own permanence and usually does all it can to keep them in isolation. Does that sound familiar with the Great Reset? That is the strategy. They probably read Tocqueville. You just haven't. And even if you read it, you haven't come together. You're still isolated. Watching TV. Sitting on the couch. No defect of the human heart suits it better than egoism. What is egoism? Do you think you already know? You think you already know the Constitution is the answer that, you know, if we only get Trump elected, if, you know, I don't know what you think you know, but it's egoism. You have to be willing always to listen closely and accept the idea that you might be wrong. I do. And if you can show me where I'm wrong, I'm willing to listen. But he goes on to say, a tyrant is relaxed enough to forgive his subjects for failing to love him. Provided they do not love one another. Written 150 years ago or more. Do you understand that the way leads you away from tyranny? Takes you away from tribute? Takes you away from the bondage of Egypt? The All these arts of freedom... Moses was teaching the people. He said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Free speech was key in the kingdom. That's why so many people are against free speech. They're servants of evil. And evil cometh this way. Tocqueville went on to write, he does not ask them to help him to govern the state. It is enough that they have no intention of managing it themselves. But the Bible is telling you to be the government of the people for the people and by the people. And that does not include a government that forces their neighbor, take away the right of choice of their neighbor, 
early Israel, you had the right to decide what to give. Nobody arrested you if you didn't give much. They knew. They would know your generosity. It would show up in your lifestyle, in your way. If they saw you being righteous, they would do more to save you than those who they see not being righteous. He goes on to say, he calls those who claim to unite their efforts to create general prosperity, the socialists, turbulent and restless spirits. And twisting the normally accepted meaning of the words, he gives the name of good citizen to those who retreat into themselves. See, if you stay home, wear a mask, don't talk to anybody, you're a good citizen. And despotism knows that if you fall for that nonsense, his power will will remain constant. The mere fact that I told you this makes me a domestic terrorist. That God wants you to communicate with one another, have communion with one another. But I'm not really a domestic terrorist. I'm just a speaker of the truth. Thus, the vices fostered by tyranny, he goes on to say, are exactly those supported by equality. Or at least what we see calling itself equality today. Although he wrote this again 150 years ago. These two things are complementary and mutually supportive with fatal results. <laughs> so, <laughs> a tyranny and equality. Equality is a good thing to seek, but it is not a goal. The goal is righteousness. We should be seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which means that we should be sitting down in, in a society seeking to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That's going to be an art slowly learned. And if we had started years ago when we started preaching the gospel of the kingdom, you'd be a lot farther along. But those of you who have whose feet have fallen along the way, pick yourself up and join us. Those who have wandered off, come back to the fold of Christ. No one will bind you in. No one will run after you. We're not in the business of herding cats. Rain sheep are the only sheep that deserve to be free. And rain sheep stick together. They don't necessarily like each other all the time, but they stick together. They don't wander off. They wander off. The coyotes and the bobcats and the mountain lions will devour them. So you need to turn around and go this other way because this equality that we've been talking about weakens you. Just like the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah in a time of affluence, they weaken the poor because they did not give discretionary charity. They gave legal charity. If you still don't understand legal charity by now, we have an article called Legal Charity at preparing you and you can read that and study that and find out why it is that you are finding yourself in this position of despotism over you and why it is you cannot throw off the chains which bind you. You cannot dissolve those bands 
without forging the bands of righteousness. This is why Christ said to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and and everything else will be provided. The bands of unrighteousness will be broken. They will go away. And the fact is the system will crash eventually anyway, but you probably won't survive that. And if you don't care about others as much as you care about yourself, you'll go down with them. And you will not survive liberty. Because liberty is the blood of life. Liberty allows you to make the choices of righteousness. And even if you find yourself a slave, there are choices of righteousness you can make even as a slave. And the more you start making those choices, the more choices God will give you. He will set you free. But the first choice you must make is be willing to see the truth, the whole truth, and provide for it. Count the cost and seek the way of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, we're uh, coming to the end of the program. We have the Burning Bush Festival coming up. Uh, go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Click on the network links. Find the closest group that includes your state, your country, whatever. Click on that. Join that. And say you want to become a part of a congregation. And and you're not a member. You're a participant. Because it's a free assembly. So when you do that, then the kingdom will start to grow. And more keys will be given to you. And it will begin to unlock more doors including the prison door you now sit behind in darkness. So, till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.